KIRP radio show. I am not Pudgy Miller. Pudgy Miller has let me, Rocco P, host this show every Sunday night, the last night of the month. So I think he said this is last Sunday nights or last monthly Sunday nights with Rocco P, Rocco Pisertia. Please check out my website, paradshift.net. That's P-A-R-A-D-S-H-I-F-T dot net. You'll see a lot of stuff there, and I posted an article that is related to what I'll be talking about tonight. When we look at the problems that we face, you and I, the people, the people here, especially the focus on the United States, there's some problems that affect everyone in the world. There's, there's some stuff that's particular to us in the States. But a lot of the really big problems, they are kind of, they are related, okay? Now, from a spiritual sense... No pudgies, pudgy fellow believer in the Lord Jesus. We know ultimately, ultimately it is spiritual battle. Any, any moral evil, any anything we say was a social, anything is socially evil, anything is politically wrong. It's, it's evil. It's a spiritual battle ultimately. So behind the scenes, yeah, people fight out. People are in conflict with ideas, and obviously ideas influence. Decisions, decisions influence and actions and policies in the social and political realm. So ultimately, it is a spiritual battle. We know God is sovereign, meaning he rules over the universe. But right now, he's in the process of redeeming people. He's saving people. And as that occurs, people still have the opportunity to repent and come to Christ. But obviously, there is very real sin in the world. Uh, sin is real. It's a transgression of God's laws, transgression of what God has mandated, what is right. There is ultimately right and wrong. Don't let anyone tell you right and wrong are relative. Okay, we are, you don't want to believe in that horrendous lie of moral relativism. You know, there are there is absolute morality, there's an absolute moral standard that has never changed and never will change because God created the world and He created us, He created people. When we look at when we look at a lot of these problems they are interrelated. Think about abortion. Okay, abortion. In our United States context, abortion was a state issue. <clears throat> okay, and uh, I, I believe obviously life begins at conception. I don't think you could argue that biologically. Yeah, abortion stops a beating heart. But there's a radical Supreme Court decision most people are probably aware of in 1973, Roe versus Wade, that legalized abortion on demand for any reason in all 50 states. Okay, so any time during pregnancy, a woman could then abort her child. Most abortions take place in the trimester. They don't have to. Okay, and now some ethicists have said in Europe it's, it's more popular where they admit that abortion is murder. In America, because we still have you know, some significant influence of uh, Christians, you talk about Judeo-Christian culture, because that's still there, people have to, have to pretend that abortion isn't murder to make it appear acceptable. But that's changing. You've had some people now that have said, you know, you should be able to, uh, you should be able to abort a child, perhaps up to the age of two. Again, if, if you think that sounds outrageous, if you accept the premise that you know, life in the womb really isn't life. And then if you talk about this idea of viability, well, you know, when you know, when, when is a child really viable? He says he's out of the womb, okay, at birth, but when can a child take care of himself? So and of course, you know, this is this is all based upon the lie, largely legally, of a woman's right to privacy. And at the same time, the Supreme Court then violated the Constitution. Uh, there's nothing in the Constitution. I mean, you go back to the Declaration of Independence, how this country was birthed, no pun intended. It talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the most fundamental right we have, is the right to life. So there's nothing in the Constitution about health care, period. But the social engineers want that. They want that ability. The, the Founding Fathers discussed this. Uh, they discussed this in detail, I believe, was Benjamin Rush, who was a doctor, as part of the Bill of Rights. They were, Bill of Rights, again, were negative affirmations. Okay, the Bill of Rights, 
may be familiar with the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. It was a negative affirmation. What do I mean by that? It did not grant or bestow rights to the people. Those who framed the Constitution, okay, they were not all Christians, but they did understand that you had rights innately. You had rights as a human. They called them natural rights. Some were believers, people like Patrick Henry. Most were not. But the point is they never conceived this idea that we have today that after 100 years of so-called progressive thought, which is really collectivist thought, that our rights are bestowed to us by the government. If you believe that at face value, this is how you get death camps. This is how we've got abortion, because the government could dictate then you know, who lives and dies. So you might argue, well, yes, the women are making that decision. Right now, they're making that decision to kill, kill the children in the womb. But you can look at places like China, and uh, it's forcible. I mean, one-child policy, they literally will kidnap pregnant women and forcibly abort them. So getting back at this idea of, you know, this an inalienable right, a right, a natural right, it says believers' rights come from God, the government merely recognizes that. So the purpose of the Bill of Rights was to demonstrate very clearly that there were certain areas that the federal government could never intrude upon. There is nothing in the federal constitution about health care. Now, Benjamin Rush had a very valid concern. said, over time, who's to say if the federal government, you know, the, this, the federal government, some people call it an agent, is created by the states. Okay, the states have the power to abolish or change the federal government. That's true. The states predate the federal government. We act today because we don't teach state history. We act today as if the federal government created the states. No, states existed for a long time before the federal government existed. So we have this idea of inalienable rights, natural rights, for believers who recognize God-given rights. You may be an atheist. You have, you have God-given rights. You deny God. You have natural rights. The fact that you're a human means that you have rights, even though you deny a creator God. So going back to abortion, there was never any federal basis for anything, any federal law about health care, period. So we have this decision, Roe versus Wade, in 1973. The majority of those who voted on that decision were Republican appointees. That is true. They made abortion legal. We got to that point. Before then, back, uh, back in the 20s, early, early 20th century, there was a movement to forcibly sterilize people. If you live in North Carolina, you may be familiar. They talked about some type of reparations to those who were victimized by forcible sterilization, so, something that our approved history textbooks don't talk about much, and that's up until the early 1970s, people were forcibly sterilized. You'd have a little commission, and they would determine, that board would determine in certain cases then, who to sterilize. What occurred in our United States, it was 30 states, including North Carolina, had those laws up until the early 70s. And those laws came into place through a 1927 Supreme Court decision, Buck versus Bell. Buck versus Bell. And then we're taught in you know, the approved textbook version of history, Oliver Wendell Holmes was a brilliant legal mind, and he ruled 1927 Buck versus Bell based on a decision in Virginia. Virginia was attempting to forcibly sterilize a woman. He ruled, in essence, yes, the federal government has a right. They have a compelling interest because if for the collective good they can force someone to vaccinate, then they can force them to be sterilized. And they teach us that Oliver Wendell Holmes is a great legal mind, and he was a eugenicist. Uh, that's the big buzzword. That's really what I'm talking about tonight, eugenics. This is, this is the philosophy that drives a lot of the social problems we see, a lot of the social evil, a lot of the political evil that we see around us. The philosophy that drives this is eugenics. It's eugenics. That, that's a word... The Greek roots would mean you, like euangelion, evangel, good news, the gospel. You is good, and genes was born. So eugenics, Greek roots would mean well-born. 
That doesn't sound bad. But eugenics developed as a pseudoscience in the late 1800s. Okay, give you a dictionary definition that I'm going to correct. A science that tries to improve the human race by controlling which people become parents. Okay, it's not a science. It's a pseudoscience. Second definition, dictionary definition of eugenics. A science that deals with the improvement as by control of human mating of hereditary qualities of a race or breed. Again, it's not a science. It's a pseudoscience. One dictionary cited says first known uses in 1883. This goes back to a Brit, Francis Galton. Here's a quote. In the first thorough exposition of eugenics was made by Francis Galton, who in hereditary uh, genius, I believe it was, yeah, in hereditary genius, eight, published in 1869, proposed that a system of arranged marriages between men of distinction and women of wealth would eventually produce a gifted race. Now, if, if if you stop right there and think about that, there's nothing wrong. I mean, if people wanted to arrange marriages, I mean, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong about that. And I don't want to get off on, I don't want to diverge on this, but, you know, the, the way we do things as far as how people get married, it's very, this dating stuff is very, 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 very modern. But eugenics wasn't talking about voluntary uh, this voluntary arranged marriage is talking about imposing a view upon all of society and ultimately controlling who could and who could not have children. That's what it's all about. The American Eugenics Society, founded in 1926, supported Gallon's theories. United States eugenicists argued for the sterilization of insane, retarded, and epileptic citizens. Okay, when you talk about that with this this little quote I'm having there, this is really sanitized again. This is the official version, part of the official version. They say retarded. They talked about, they used a phrase then called feeble-minded. So you're living in you know, the early 20th century. Who determines then who's, who's feeble-minded? A eugenics board appointed by the state. This is what happened in our country. This is why people were forcibly sterilized. Sterilization laws were passed in 30 states, and isolated instances of involuntary involuntary sterilization continued to the 1970s. Very interesting. We think about how that. Oh yeah, and before I forget, Buff versus Bell 1927 decision. Okay, even though the states, I believe every state, I could be wrong, took those laws off the books that would mandate and give the state the right to forcibly sterilize people they considered genetically unfit. Even though the state laws have largely been removed, the Supreme Court decision that empowered 30 states to make those laws. And I think you know, some had them before that decision in 1927, like Virginia. But but first is Bell is still in the books. That's right. The Supreme Court people, people, we've been brainwashed to think that if the Supreme Court makes a ruling, that makes it constitutional. And that is so absurd and so insanely wrong. Supreme Court makes a ruling. It's only constitutional, guess what, if it conforms and adheres to the Constitution. That that may sound like a radical concept. This, any Supreme Court ruling is only valid if it conforms to the Constitution. Buck versus Bell was unconstitutional. Okay, You could go back okay, to Dred Scott. Some of you folks might be familiar with the Dred Scott decision. The issue came up as far as you know when when the colonies formed when they formed the union okay way back 1776 shortly thereafter they had the Articles of Confederation and then they had the Constitution we'll get into how we went from one to the other tonight the point is the founders had debated slavery some were vehemently opposed to it others were not but they tabled that discussion that ultimately then blew up in the Civil War. Not going to get into the discussion as far as all the forces behind the Civil War. Just let me say one thing about the Civil War. Okay, The war between the states or the War of Northern Aggression was not primarily about slavery. And Abraham Lincoln, who were taught in schools, you know, Abraham Lincoln, he freed the slaves. You know, He was, he was a vehement racist. Uh, he wanted to send all the blacks in America that were freed to Africa. He wanted to send them to Liberia. The United States basically had a colony set up in Liberia. 
They called it Monrovia, named after James Monroe, a, a city. And he wanted to send all the blacks back. He, he was Abraham Lincoln was very open about the fact he thought black and white people should not be together. So that's just something for you to think about any time you get that sanitized, really distorted view of history that, yeah, civil war is about end slavery. Nah, nah, civil war is about, yeah, saying states had no rights and they were going to become federal colonies. Supreme Court has made many bad decisions. The decision said slavery was re- legal, and this was this was a legal precedent because blacks were property. So, if you're going to get this collectivist, progressive view of the Supreme Court that what they say determines reality, what they say makes something constitutional, at one point they said uh, blacks were property, and they still say the state has the right even though states have removed those laws, according to the federal government. If you take this view, which, again, completely goes against, completely violates the original intent of the U.S. Constitution, if you take this view that what the Supreme Court says and make something constitutional, then it's thoroughly constitutional, based upon a 1927 decision, Buck versus Bell, where if any state wants to pass a law tomorrow to forcibly sterilize people, they can do it. Be real careful how you understand the law. And they want to give us this idea based upon, again, 100 years of progressives, which is really collectivist thought. They want to, in every way possible, they want to undermine our individual liberties, our individual rights, based upon the lie, based upon the illusion, uh, based upon this this false construction of collectivist rights. Okay, There really aren't any collectivist rights. There's no there's not group, group rights. We have rights as individuals. And the original purpose, the, the, the right purpose of government is to guard our individual liberties. Okay, but now what was meant to be the servant, the government obviously has become the master. And they tell us everything has become a privilege. Everything's become a privilege. You talk to a police officer, and he could be an honest moral man, but it's been drilled into his head that you know, driving's a privilege. Uh, I think not. Travel is not a privilege. Travel travel is a right of free men. But we've been taught in this world, the cars, and eventually it started out, I believe, in New York and New Jersey. For commercial purposes, they made truck drivers get licenses, and then everyone had a license. And then travel, which was recognized always as a right, that became a privilege. Going back to abortion is part of the idea as the states got away from forcible sterilization. At the same time, Roe versus Wade occurs, and far more have been aborted than were forcibly sterilized. The numbers I looked at for forcible sterilization, uh, I think it was maybe a few hundred thousand, perhaps. But now, today, today, January 2015, since Roe versus Wade was legalized, the death toll due to abortion is astronomical. We're looking at just under 57.5 million people have been aborted in our country. And of that, okay, you could go to a site called blackgenocide.org. Blackgenocide.org. Over 13 million of baby, those babies that were over 13 million of, of those 57.5 million, over 13 million were black. So, Minority women were about 13% of the female population in the U.S., but they uh, they account for about 36% of the abortions. So on average, uh, about 1,876 black babies are aborted in the U.S. every day, on average. Okay, Without abortion, there'd be at least 16 more million blacks in the U.S. So what's my point? I've already established based upon the Bible, based upon natural rights, abortion is murder. And when anyone, when anyone, albeit Jesse Jackson or the Reverend Al Sharpton talks about talks about Black Lives Matter, why aren't they talking about the black genocide and abortion? There was a time when Jesse Jackson did say this. Yes, yes there was. There was a time you could check it out. Do a little do an internet search, go to startpage.com. And you type in Jesse Jackson, uh, black genocide, Jesse Jackson, black abortion wrong. 
just get some articles. And there was a time when Jesse Jackson would say, uh, very similar to what I said, that abortion uh, disproportionately it was wrong and disproportionately killed black babies. But for whatever reason, he flipped. That was a long time ago. And then, yeah, as part of the democratic ideology, as part of the democratic uh, philosophy, yeah, he's on board. Yeah, this is a right. So they're going to basically to divide us. They're always going to draw attention to these questionable, or some of them, of course, are outright wrong, police executions, black people. But they don't talk about the big numbers and the big pictures, see? Because when you talk about the police violence, that divides us. That's what they want, because they want to rip apart the social structure. That's cultural Marxism. Okay, Some people call that political correctness. That's what they want to talk about. They don't want to talk about abortion, because that's a real problem that could get fixed. Okay, That could get fixed. But they don't want that because it's all about controlling you and I, and these people hate life, and that's what that's what eugenics is all about. A lot of people, you may have heard this in different ways. A lot of people say there's too many people in the world. Okay, this is a pressing problem. They say overpopulation. We have to do something about it. Right now, world population is about 7.2 billion. 7.2 billion. The United States is the third most populous country in the world. We've got 320 million, 225,000 people roughly. Okay, first two countries really big, China 1.36 billion, India 1.25 billion. So you ever hear that? You ever hear that that you know, this is a real real problem we have to uh, we have to address this problem of overpopulation. Okay? I go back again to my biblical worldview. And I recognize God as a creator, the creator of the universe. Create everything there is, including you and I. Create people. So first off, based upon what I believe from Scripture, God's not going to create people that couldn't be sustained. Okay, right there. Second, if you don't believe the Bible, okay, that's your liberty. I pray you'd repent. But if you don't believe that, what do the facts say? Okay, there's not a problem with really a lack of food or any other resource. The the world is not overcrowded. Okay, that that's absurd. It's not overcrowded. There's a problem with an allocation or a distribution of those resources. What we see now, what we're living through, is the people that the global elite are intoxicated this idea of depopulation. Okay, I'll get to some quotes about that shortly. So what they do, they implement policies at all levels. Okay, federal, federal, and filters out in the state and local level, where they want to create artificial scarcity. Remember that phrase, artificial scarcity. That's what Obamacare is all about. Okay, you had two plans for Obamacare beforehand, and you remember they tried this way back in the day with Hillary Clinton when Bill Clinton was in the White House. They tried to get through uh, this nationalized health care. It failed then. They succeeded with with the so-called patient. Protection and Affordable Care Act. They succeeded. He had two versions. The version that one that we got was uh, pretty much engineered by this guy Gruber. You heard him from MIT. That was a guy who said the only way to get passed is if they lied about it, and uh, that's uh, that's how it got passed. They had to lie about it. Uh, it's been a disaster. It will continue to be a disaster. The other architect, the plan that didn't win, was Ezekiel Emanuel. Ezekiel Emanuel, medical doctor. He's a brother of Rom, the Bull Emanuel, former uh, White House chief of staff, current mayor, current thug mayor of Chicago, current criminal mayor of Chicago. It's Rom the Bull Emanuel. If you remember, a lot of good quotes from Rom the Bull Emanuel, one being, never let a good crisis go to waste. Okay, His brother Ezekiel is a doctor. And he wanted to blow the whole thing up and go to a single-payer system. But the people in Washington were smart enough to know that you could fool the people, but not that quickly. So they gave us Obamacare, which is just Obamacare will fail, and then we'll get a single-payer system. It'll be worse. Why do I say all this? Okay, If you've already experienced, uh, if you've already paid for insurance, you know what's going on with Obamacare as you know, premiums have skyrocketed in some places. I mean, they've tripled. But I mentioned healthcare again. This is part of the eugenicist, eugenicist philosophy because they want to create artificial scarcity. Okay, that's the whole plan. You take healthcare. If your goal is to reduce world population, and that's their goal is, okay, what do you do? One way 
there's a lot of, a lot of things you can do. One way, one thing you do is you create artificial scarcity of health care. So if you cannot get health care, then you get sick and you end up dying more quickly than you would, certainly when it comes to trauma. Okay, you're in bad ox bad accident, you can't get a doctor. What happens? One of the one of the very pernicious things about Obamacare, if you didn't know, is that for new doctors it caps their salary. Might be like ninety thousand, so you might say, Well, yeah, that's plenty for a doctor. No, no, slow down, slow down, slow down. You go through four years of college, you go through uh four years of medical school, you got some bills and uh, then they beat you up in an internship. So it takes a while to actually make some money. And uh, so it's not a lot of money when, uh, you know, if, you know, the first day you start your job, you have, I don't know, $200,000 in debt or more, two, three $300,000, something incredible. So by limiting the pay of doctors, people just aren't going to go to medical school. It's going to create a shortage. Now, check this out. They know that. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to break the system. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it's designed to do. You talk about all this nonsense about global warming. Okay, global warming has been debunked all over the place. You could go to climatedepot.com, I believe climatedepot.com. Okay. Do a search on Lord Moncton. Lord Moncton from the UK. There's even NASA. NASA admits there hasn't been any evidence of global warming in, I don't know, a good, well over a decade. They know it's all false. So they they change the phrase and they try to they talk about climate change, okay, which is very ambiguous. What do you mean by climate change? Well, you know, there's four seasons. Climate change is naturally. But the, it's the whole idea of talking about anthropogenic, which is a fancy word to mean man-made global warming. That's what they're saying. Okay, saying what man's activity as as we produce carbon as causing the the uh the temperature of the earth to warm is a complete lie. This is what they say. So we have to reduce our carbon to save the world. Okay. Complete and utter lie in junk science. Okay, complete and utter lie. Information is out there all over the place. Uh you can look at uh, I think polar ice caps and Mars melting. That's not because anyone's driving an SUV, right? Uh, it's, it's just complete and total lie. Some people say, you know, what about the polar bears? You know, they're going to drown. Well, the polar bears could swim. So, now, why am I talking about global warming? Because it's not... A lot of people in so-called conservative circles make this like it's a big joke. And I just want to tell you, the people... And this is the philosophy in both parties, uh, both parties, Democrats and Republicans. I'm not just beating up on Democrats. Uh, okay, I'm not. The leaders of both parties are completely on board with this idea of man-made global warming. And if that's all it was, that it would just be a joke. But this is part of their radical vision to restructure society. Case in point, I mean. Willard Mitt Romney, Willard Mitt Romney, okay, last last Republican presidential candidate, said openly about a week ago, uh, he's he's totally on board. I mean, he believes in man-made global warming. We have to address it. Newt Gingrich, you can look that up. He did a commercial with Nancy Pelosi a couple of years ago. They were sitting on a little bench saying, and it was uh, something silly where he said, oh, we may disagree about things, but we agree about global warming. There's another commercial out there with Pat Robertson and the Reverend Al Sharpton. Same thing. You know, we disagree, but we agree about global warming. So this is deadly serious because they want to create an artificial scarcity of energy. They are creating. They're in the process, unless we the people stop them, of creating an artificial scarcity in energy. So, again, if your goal is depopulation, if you want to reduce the population of the world, then what do you do? Well, uh, you make uh, one thing you do, you make abortion legal and convince people that children are inconvenience, you know, children children are a blight on society, and then people kill them, kill their own children. One thing you do. Another thing you do, 
you create an artificial scarcity in medicine. So if you reduce the number of doctors and reduce the health care available to people over time, then people die a lot quicker. There's less doctors out there. That's uh, real easy to understand. That's where we're going with Obamacare. What else do you do? You you create an artificial scarcity of energy. What? How can human life exist apart from energy? Imagine getting through a winter if you had no energy. Okay, people did in the past, but yeah, we uh, not every house now has a fireplace. <laughs> what would happen? And sad to say, this is their goal. It's not an accident. When government when government gets caught, you know, words like Obamacare when it's going to become abundantly clear you know, in the next uh, under five years. It's going to become abundantly clear that there's going to be a critical shortage of doctors. If you trust the government, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent, if you trust the government and you, for some reason you believe in their benevolence, you believe they have their best interests in heart, they're going to say, well, we just didn't account for this. So the people, they create this problem, and then are you going to trust them to solve the problem they created? You see what I'm saying? This is how it works. Problem, reaction, solution. They create the problem. Then they have they know what the reaction is going to be. And then they got the solution plan. And again, in terms of medicine, the solution is going to be a single pair system. And then we're going to go from bad to worse. So again, back to energy. <laughs> what are they doing now? Okay, we've got clean coal-burning power, plant, power plants. And I say clean. You know, they've had they got scrubbers, they've got the equipment in them. You know, very little bad gets into gets into the atmosphere. They're shutting down now without Congress changing the law. Remember that without Congress changing the law, merely through regulation, through the EPA. Remember that the EPA, the so-called Environmental Protection Agency, they're shutting down clean bowl, clean coal burning power plants. They're shutting them down in Texas shutting them down in West Virginia. Now, what does that do? That drives up the cost of energy. Right now, we've got a little windfall. Yeah, we won't get into that. Saudi Arabia, uh, supposedly, the official word in Saudi Arabia, basically, they want to break. Uh, they want to break the market here for fracking. Shell. They want to make it go away. So, so they reduce the, the price of crude oil, and that is going to happen. But the point is that, that those numbers aren't always, always going to be low. But you look at coal, that goes away. You price energy to, to heat your homes, that goes up. That's happening all over the country. You think about the EPA, again, this the so-called Environment Protection Agency. You don't, see, uh, you don't see anything in the Constitution about where the government has any power to mandate anything about the environment. The EPA was not even created by Congress, believe it or not. It was created by an executive order by President Nixon. So now we have a federal agency created by executive order, I would argue illegally, based upon the Constitution. Congress plays dumb, they fund it, and they let what was allegedly our servant become our master. What's going to fast forward, you know, 10, 20, 30 years? What's it going to be like when they shut down every coal plant in the United States? How many people are going to be able to afford, you know, to, uh, to have any heat in their homes? What's going to happen over time? And they know this. One of the prom- that was one of the promises Obama kept when he ran for office is that he says, yeah, you could build a new coal plant, but it will bankrupt you. So you've got to say Obama told the truth at least once. I mean, he's man kept his word there. He he said you could start a new, if you had to start money, you could open up a new coal plant, but it would bankrupt you. So you got to applaud Obama at least once. He didn't tell a lie. Now, people in Congress play dumb. Uh, they make this like it's left versus right. It's not. It's not again. We'll admit Romney, Newt Gingrich, they're on board with this idea of man-made global warming, creating artificial scarcity. They know ultimately that's not just going to destroy the economy. People will die. I posted an article on my site, paradshift.net, paradshift.net, and that article is 22 shocking population control quotes from the global elite. I'm going to read a few of those quotes when you see how how far advanced this is, that this is the philosophy that's driving 
the problems we see politically and socially. You have a small number of global elite that are absolutely determined they to do what they can to reduce the world's population. March 2009, United Nations Population Division Policy Brief, quote, what would it take to accelerate fertility decline in the least developed countries? Got a quote by Bill Gates. This one was good. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's heading up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really good job, new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. That was Bill Gates. That was at a conference. Let's see. When was that? The conference, I believe, 2010. Let's see. Got that video queued up. Let's see if we can play that for you so you can hear what Bill Gates said. We need to meet a new constraint. And that constraint has to do with CO2. CO2 is warming the planet. And the equation on CO2 is actually a, a very straightforward one. If you sum up the CO2 that gets emitted, that leads to a temperature increase. And that temperature increase leads to some very negative effects. The effects on the weather, uh, perhaps worse, the indirect effects in that uh, the natural ecosystems can't adjust to these rapid changes, and so you get ecosystem collapses. Now, the exact amount of how you map from a, a certain increase in CO2 to what temperature will be and where the positive feedbacks are, there's some uncertainty there, but not very much. And there's certainly uncertainty about how bad those effects will be, but they will be extremely bad. I asked the top scientists on this several times, do we really have to get down to near zero? Can't we just you know, cut it in half or a quarter? And the answer is that until we get near to zero, the temperature will continue to rise. And so that's, that's a big challenge. It's very different than saying you know, we're a 12-foot high truck trying to get under a 10-foot bridge and we can just sort of squeeze under. This is something that has to get to zero. Now, we put out a lot of carbon dioxide every year, uh, over 26 billion tons. Uh, for each American, it's about 20 tons. Uh, for people in poor countries, it's less than one ton. It's an average of about five tons for everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. It's been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have even flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. The second factor is the services we use. This encompasses... Okay, so there you see Bill Gates. And he uh, he tips his hand at that meeting, and he tells you what he thinks, that you know, we got 6.8 billion people in 2010, uh, it's going to get to $9 billion. So if we do a really good job with new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, uh, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. You get that. What are those areas to, to reduce world population by 10 or 15%? New vaccines, health care, reproductive health services. Uh, the Bill Moore and the Gates Foundation, this is all, all over the web. You can look at some links. The article I posted has a hyperlinks. They are big time into going into third world countries. They've been in India, uh, different places in Africa, and they're pushing vaccines. 
Now, think about it. If you wanted to make life better in countries that were underdeveloped, you'd use money to give people clean water and sanitation. Okay, that takes away disease. You look at the Industrial Revolution in, uh, in Western Europe and the United States. Uh, you get sanitation. That, that, you, know, you get clean water. That uh, takes away disease. But no, no, no. The focus is always on vaccines. And you go back to this health care thing. And when you realize what their goals are, the health care isn't designed over time to make life better is designed to reduce life. People had mocked the idea with Obamacare, the death panel. And it's there. Uh, it's there because they're going to create, they are in the process of creating artificial scarcity, and they will ration health care because, again, the goal is not to make people healthier, it's to limit it to, ba- to basically make sure more people die more quickly. And Gates talked about this openly in another meeting where he talked about the trade off. Again, as a social engineer, that trade-off between what we have, what we have with hiring teachers, as opposed to people, uh, uh, as opposed to people uh, in uh, nursing homes, pretty much uh, the elderly. He he was real. He was real open about that. Let me. Uh, I'm going to play that clip and then. Uh, I think I got a caller, but let me play that clip first. Here. The proportion of GDP that goes to health care, is that over-allocated? Uh, well, the U.S. spends 17% of GDP on health care, and you drop down to number two, which is uh, Switzerland, at 12%. And so you say, well, that, hey, what do we get for that? Well, uh, we, do, we get nothing. Uh, the health outcomes, uh, which are complicated to, to compare, but the health outcomes are basically slightly worse, both in terms of averages and the inequity. The, our bottom quartile is very ugly compared to all other rich countries' bottom quartile. Our upper quartile is somewhat better, but that's how you get the, the inequity. So we're spending at a huge rate, which if it wasn't increasing, faster than inflation, it's increasing as a percentage of the economy, then, okay, you can probably afford it. But as it continues to grow, it squeezes, unless people say, yes, I would like to be taxed a lot more, uh, and most states have these super majorities that are required to do that, and, you know, it's not likely, and it's not clearly a, a good thing either. But unless, so if, if, as long as you're dealing with a finite amount, as the medical cost goes up, and that shows up both in state budgets as so-called state Medicaid spending, uh, and it shows up in the federal budget as, as Medicare, and they're part of, of Medicaid, it squeezes out everything else. Uh, so right now what you see is it's squeezing higher education. You're raising tuitions at the University of California at the, as rapidly as they can, and so the access that used to be available to the middle class or whatever, is just rapidly going away. That's a trade-off society is making because of very, very high medical costs and a lack of willingness to say, you know, is spending a million dollars on that last three months of life for that patient, would it be better not to lay off the, those 10 teachers and to make that trade-off in medical costs? But that's called the death panel, uh, and you're not supposed to have that discussion. So you... Of course, well, that's an interesting thing you just said, which is just the last three months in life for one person or something, because we haven't had a discussion of how to allocate that money, it means we lay off three teachers to do so. I mean, in other words, we that's haven't right. had this Society's type of allocation. Making, we're making that trade-off because of huge medical costs that are not examined to see which ones actually have no benefit whatsoever, well, wait, and because of pension generosity we will be laying off over 100,000 teachers, which, you know, I'm very much against that. Uh, and the whole AFT will agree with me on that. So there you go. Uh, you, have, you have a trade-off to make. Uh, you, uh, you lay off teachers. If not, then uh, you have a death panel. People die. So you see what he's saying? He's tipping his hand. And this is the same guy that puts millions and millions of dollars into 
getting vaccines into third world countries? Do you think maybe all those vaccines aren't that good? <laughs> Do we have a caller? Yes, sir. Hello. Hello there. Hey, Rob, Who is uh, this? Chuck. Chuck. Me, hey, the Chuck what's Suter. going on? The Chuck Suter of ConstitutionalWar.org? Yes, sir. Yes, uh, listening <laughs> to the program. Uh, good job there. And um, I would uh, just say with uh, the Bill Gates is that um, not only has uh, he admitted that you know that we we need uh, population reduction. When he's talking about eliminating CO2 and getting it down, I mean, what do you think that you breathe out of your mouth? Yeah, yeah, it's something uh, you know the global warming uh, advocates, the uh, climate change advocates, don't want to discuss that. You know, where uh, we are a carbon-based life form, so if uh, you want to reduce carbon. One way you do that is to reduce people, and uh, that's what it's all about. It's all about population reduction. You said that in the first clip. You know, we do a really good job in those areas, vaccines, health care. Uh, get the world population down a good 10 to 15%. Well, yeah, and we just had the uh, article out today talking about how uh, this young girl tragically uh, um, uh, passed away uh, due to the uh, flu virus, but she had gotten a vaccine for that exact flu. And I'm I'm not, you know, I have no evidence of this. I'm not blaming the vaccine itself, but should it not be looked into? I mean, um, if you're promoting a product that is supposed to um, 100%, they say as as, as long as you get it within, as long as you don't already have the flu and you get the vaccine, you're 100% guaranteed not to get that strain of flu. Um, Sometimes they mess these vaccines up. Uh, If you look throughout history, I mean, uh, there's some folks who would even say the HIV virus came from the polio vaccination because you did have the, uh, I think it was like 200,000 people came down with CIV, simian immune deficiency virus, because they had been using chimpanzees' kidneys as, as the base for the polio vaccine to grow the disease in there and then kill it with formaldehyde, he was infecting humans with that disease. Yeah, I, I can't speak, Chuck, to the HIV. I, I have looked in into some detail into the flu vaccines. First, you think about the immunology, the whole idea of virology is involved. And the idea behind the vaccine, any vaccine, is you know you get, you get injected with with part of what's bad, and that gives you immunities, then it builds the antibodies. The problem is the flu vaccine always mute, the flu mutates. So first off, even if you accept that premise, and I think there's a little debate involved, but let's say that that's true, then what you're getting injected with, getting inoculated with, is protecting you from something that isn't around. The other thing that you touched on with formaldehyde and stuff is the adjuvants, the other the variety of things they add to the vaccines. Yeah, numerous, I mean, it's common sense in my mind. Uh, if you have thimerosal, which is a mercury derivative, you, you don't want that going into your body. You, you just don't. So first off, what you're supposed to be inoculated against, it's, it's already mutated. Secondly, it's the adjuvants, everything they've had. And then third, these adverse reactions. Obviously, the Centers for Disease Control is in bed with big pharma. So whenever, like you know, the case you said, I didn't look into it, but I know there's been a number of deaths this year after people have taken the flu vaccine. They always want to brainwash people and say, well, it wasn't the vaccine. But that begs the question, well, then why? When They really do lie, in my opinion, because they say, well, someone gets inoculated with the flu vaccine, then they die, and they say, well, the flu killed them. No, 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 no. The vaccine gave them the flu or something that killed them. And it's horrible, but I think that, that that's what's gone on. The, the information's out there. Uh, again, I think we are winning in this area of, of health freedom or health liberty. I think we the people are winning because, Chuck, I don't know, years ago, you might not remember, you never saw these signs. I see them everywhere where I go, at drugstores, all over the place. Get your flu vaccine. Some places give them out free. 
didn't see that years ago, so I can only conclude the reason all those signs are up is that we're all not getting those flu vaccines. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is once once you have a single payer healthcare system, if you do not get the flu vaccine, and then you get the flu, and you want to use your insurance to have it treated, say um, you know, I mean, the flu does kill people. Um, it, it, it you you know, depending on your health condition, it can be a very a bad thing, even if you're healthy. So say you want to refuse this flu vaccine, well, under a nationalized health care system, if you refuse it, then you might just be uh, refusing all treatment. One of the funny things, I, I put out this video about Sidney Crosby, star hockey player for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he contracted the mumps virus immediately. You said, social media which one? What did he get? Mumps, you said? Yeah, mumps? it was the mumps. Okay. Mumps, not okay. measles. Um, the MMR is mumps, mumps, measles, and rubella. Rubella, measles. Okay. Rubella, right. Exactly. Uh, So popular, I can't even remember the name of it. But, um, you you know, and back in the day, the measles was considered kind of like chicken pox. If if your kids hadn't got the measles yet and it was over the summer or something, and somebody else had the measles, you'd take your kids over there so they could catch the measles, get a light condition case of it, uh, you treat them for a day or two, and that was their vaccine, the natural uh, way that, you know, I guess you could almost say God intended. But Sidney Crosby contract, uh, contracts the mumps, and people are losing it, don't they? Vaccinate their kids in uh, Canada. This is a this is a tragedy. What an arrogant ass. He, he is not. <laughs> He's refused the vaccine. Well, he actually just got the vaccine a year ago when he went and played in the Olympics. And then everybody, you know, no apologies, no no discuss, no further discussion is needed. Well, I guess uh, it's just a bad thing. But all the other players that caught the mumps also had already caught, uh, had already uh, taken the vaccine. At what cost? Yeah, I, I saw your video. It was great. And that underscores how how the brainwashing works. Here they tell, they try and scare people. And they say, if you don't get inoculated, then not only you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting, you're putting us at risk. Okay, so you back them and say, no, no. If, you, if your magic shot prevents you from getting disease, I mean, you could be surrounded by people that uh, that basically have it. You know, your magic shot protects you. So that's a great example with Crosby there. He had he, he took the shot and he still got the mumps. So that begs the question: Why do you get the mat when there's all these risks? And again, if we go into detail if we had time talking about MMR and the measles, mumps, rubella shot. I think you look at Dr. Blaylock, Dr. Wakefield. There's a clear link with children uh, with autism and and, the, and that shot in particular. But in any case, you look at Crosby with his notoriety that underscores the fact: What was the efficacy or the effectiveness of the shot if he still got the mumps? <laughs> Oh, and the numbers of autism, I mean, you've got 1 in 80 now, or lower than 1 in 80. Let's just say 1 in 100 to to play it really, really safe. 1 in 100, one child out of every 100 is going to have autism because we immediately have to give them a shot. And, And if it is such a big deal with tuberculosis and all these third world diseases that have pretty much been eradicated here in the United States, why, why aren't we doing more about our border? I mean, we brought in some of the poorest people in the world, uh, um, you, you know, over over the twenty the twenty thirties, et cetera. People were coming to America for a better life, and we just said, hey, we want to check you out before you come in here, and make sure that you're not bringing uh, sickness that might uh, hurt our citizens. Our government's in total dereliction of their duty right now, but hey, do you think the insurance industry, the medical industry, do you think any of these guys are upset about it? Absolutely not. This is <laughs> this is, this is is a money-making thing. I mean, you, no, the, I agree. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, the, the money is not in the cure. It's never in the cure. That's why they fought the uh, CBD oil, which is a derivative of marijuana, but will not get you high, even though this is the only thing that is going to stop your child from having 100 epileptic seizures a day where they can't even talk or walk or chew food. I mean, some of these children cannot even chew food. They put them on the CBD oil, 
not only do they gain the ability to chew food, they also gain the ability to become normal people. Um, <laughs> your point your point is well taken because when we get this idea of government control, as I said earlier in the program, there's nothing in the federal constitution about the government being involved in healthcare at all. So the government gets involved and is always it becomes monstrous. And if it was to keep us safe, then why do we see the CDC protecting big pharma who they evidently serve? Yes, it is a clear conflict of interest in this. And now they have proven, if anyone's seen, you could do an internet search, they've clearly proven there was fraud at the CDC. They doctored the numbers on a study that showed with boys there was an undeniable link with the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and autism. So it's a lock. I mean, I believed it before that, but, I mean, that's a lock to any skeptic. We know for a fact, undeniably, the CDC lied. They doctored the numbers in the study. There is a link between at least that vaccine, the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella, and autism, and numbers you cited, Chuck, are conservative, I think, now with boys at least. With boys, I think they say because of blood-brain barrier compared to girls, uh, autism affects boys worse. I think it's now it's up to like one in sixty, you know, one around one sixty boys are getting autism. Where's it going to stop? I mean, this is insane. It's crazy. Well, and, and the most dangerous part, again, like I say, is when uh, it, look the insurance industry is making money hand over fist. Oh yeah, and they wrote Obamacare. They, yeah. They, yeah, that that is totally fine. They should be able to make all the money they want. Just allow me. To, or some other entrepreneur to create a new uh, insurance yeah. system to go against your insurance system and sell it at a lower price, more competition, you get the price down, things are better for the average person. When it comes to the government, you ain't going to have a choice whether you want to have a home birth, whether you want to have uh, non-vaccinated children, or whether you want to homeschool your children, it's all going to be part of, hey, we've got to protect the taxpayer because now we're running the health care system. Right, and that, that's why Gates said, I mean, there's going to be death panels because when you bind to this idea of collective rights over individual rights, well, then the government, obviously, nothing in the federal constitution about education. All federal education laws are unconstitutional, just like all federal health care laws are unconstitutional. But once you get that apparatus in place, once the bureaucracy is there, it grows, and then they determine what's right. So if they have to make that decision, you know, do you uh, – do you let some people die or hire more teachers? Well, then, according to Bill Gates, you hire those teachers. It's funny because neoliberals, you know, when they, when they support abortion, they want to say it's a woman's right to choose. It's her body. It's her body. And, you know, you and I would say, okay, well, then, if it's everyone's bodies, why can't someone use cannabis oil? But, so it's, it's all a lie because it's, it's not about our rights. It's about the government's totalitarian tendencies about the government's tyrannical tendencies it's about depopulation in the in the end it's not about our rights it's about them killing us <laughs> well exactly and you've got the folks that will say uh, keep the government out of my uterus um, at the same time they have no problem with the government uh, forcibly sticking a needle in your child's arm yep yeah, the, the dis- yeah mo- the most dis- most of those laws are alive to, I mean, in, in a lot of states, like in our state, you get a waiver uh, for religious reasons, and they don't like to tell people that. So they create the illusion that, yeah, you have to get vaccinated, and you don't. And, of course, as we already, as we already covered, like Crosby Storage is a great example. Just because you are vaccinated doesn't mean you're not going to get sick anyhow. <laughs> where, where can people find that video, Chuck? Uh, they can find it on my YouTube channel, um, uh, Constitutional War or on my website, constitutionalwar.org. And when uh, when you got into this, I mean, you know, vaccines is part of the depopulation program. Have you seen, and obviously with health freedom, we already talked about they want to limit our access to certain things that are proven to be beneficial. It is absurd that the government, again, wants to claim they're going to protect us from ourselves when they're not do, doing a good job of protecting us at all. I mean, people have died, as you mentioned, from the flu shot. Uh, people died back in the 70s. President Ford 
there was an outbreak of uh, there was an outbreak of the flu. He mandated people get got those shots, and some people died from Guillain-Barre and nerve disease. So whenever the government wants to protect you from yourself, uh, you got to watch out. Anything else, Chuck? Before we close? Yeah, well, the, 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 exactly. The flu vaccine, the pig flu vaccine, back in the seventies. Um, the the other thing that I would mention is that. When you talk about the uh, depopula- uh, depopula- uh, depopulation agenda and Bill Gates, over in Africa, um, there are some villagers that will run away from, uh, you know, the UN workers, whoever it is, administ- uh, World Health Organization, who are running away from these guys. We don't want your vaccines. It just so turns out a lot of times, um, they're the ones that end up living and not dying. And another great, another great case of the um, medical malpractice industry is, um, you know, malpractice in the medical industry was, I believe, the drug is called Factor Eight, where Joe Scarborough reported on it that um, I think it was Bayer, the company Bayer, they went and. They went and took their drug that was tainted with the HIV virus and turned it over when it couldn't be sold here in the United States, turned it over, sold it over in Europe, and around 150,000 people uh, were exposed to the HIV virus. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I looked into that. Uh no one no one was prosecuted. I think Bayer is German German owned. I could be wrong. No one was prosecuted in the states. But people in France went to jail. They held them uh, they held them out. People went to jail in uh, in France and they they've put, that's a great story because that points out not only the fact that they've sold in that case it was a drug it wasn't a vaccine, but there's other instances too with vaccines where they prove They've been tainted apart from, you know, the whole immunology, what they do with them, the adjuvants and all that stuff. But that shows how there is just this accountability, and this is part of the fascism, which is corporatism. When we have this, this, this case with Obamacare, when the health insurance companies write the law, it's to their benefit, and they're in bed with Big Pharma. People just aren't held accountable. I think they've even passed some laws in Congress saying it's barred people from ever start having class action suits against Big Pharma. It's insane. Oh, and and that's that's where you get the uh, the lobbyists. Uh, they come into play. None of the, none of this stuff's going to see the light of day when you're messing around with that kind of uh, with that kind of money. They'll 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 squash it every time. Yeah, the system uh, the system is rigged, and all we want is our liberty. All we want is be able to live in peace, have freedom. And uh, when you got a government that's tyrannical, that's uh, determined to protect us from ourselves, uh, things are only going to get worse. But uh, thanks for calling, Chuck. We're supposed to really wrap this up. I'm on overdrive here. Uh, you were listening to the KARP show, keeping it real with Pudgy. I was your host tonight, Rocco P. Last Sunday night every month. Thank you, Pudgy, for letting me do this. Uh, Everyone, have a great week. Thank you. I know you can feel the magic, baby. Turn motherfucking lights down. Let's go, what up? What up, homie? I mean... It's what you expected, ain't it? Let's go. Uh, uh, uh. Turn the music up. Real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real, real. Only gon' recognize, still, still. I reckon I will. Like we always do with this time.
K-I-R-P. Radio! Radio!